The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. The unstoppable stocks, two of the biggest names in big tech getting even bigger this year. And they're helping the so-called MAG7 cement their leadership in the market. But does the rally have legs? We'll debate that. Plus, healthy return. Shares of Eli Lilly surging nearly 6% ahead of its earnings tomorrow. Will the results deliver another shot to the arm of this red-hot pharma stock? Or has it come too far too fast? And later, a cosmic move for a cosmetics company. Geopolitical tensions weigh on a fast food giant. And a media mogul confirms his interest in Paramount. The headlines behind all these moves are coming up. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Kristen Bitterly, head of investments at City Global Wealth. Welcome, Kristen. On a day when the major averages close in the red, we start off with what seems to be unbridled euphoria in a handful of names. Take a look at shares of NVIDIA surging almost 5% today. The chipmaker stock is up 40% already this year, adding over half a trillion dollars in market cap in that time. Meta also on a hot streak. The Facebook parent jumping almost 15% in the past five sessions, even with today's losing day. The social media giant gained nearly $200 billion in market cap just on Friday after a blowout earnings report. So what do you make of this euphoria or what seems like it, Guy. Well, it's pretty remarkable. Goldman Sachs, I think, reiterated their buy in NVIDIA, $800 price target conviction buy list. Today it traded one and a half times normal volume. Clearly the money flows are there. The AMD quarter last Tuesday, I think it was when they reported, I didn't think it was particularly good. I thought the guidance was weak. It's right back where it was, if not higher than before. Microsoft, the same thing. I mean, the money flows are amazing. So congratulations if you've been involved. I have not clearly, and I still not necessarily a believer, but you have to wonder at what point does something trigger this thing? I mean, the story can't, I don't think, last forever. And double ordering, triple ordering, margins compression is more people get into the space, more competition. I don't know. We're getting close. For NVIDIA specifically. Yeah, I think so. But haven't we learned from the hyperscaler earnings just in the past week or so that there is demand for these GPUs? I mean, doesn't that confirm this NVIDIA bull story? I think it does. And February 21st, we're going to hear a lot more. And, and, you know, for a stock that's done 40% when it the entire semi-space today set new relative highs to the S&P and new all-time closing highs, I believe. Uh, and you know, that, to me, is the dynamic. The question is, uh, how crazy is it if you can throw $25 a share in EPS on NVIDIA by 2025? Suddenly, the stock's not as expensive as it seems, given the growth it's giving you. Meta, the reason it got so many upgrades is not just because they did a div, even though I think that was an exciting thing for you know, some, some, you know, some types of investors, money managers that want the dividend, but you know, a a CAGR of anywhere from 20 to 25 percent over the next three years is what most of those research analysts that were upgrading the stock said. So um, is it crazy? I think it's like uh, semis are up 50 percent or so uh, since October 26th when the market inflated. 50 percent for the biggest, highest growth group in, in the bunch. And so, yeah, it's shocking. It's startling. Um, but again, the companies that are really the ones outperforming. And again, there hasn't been good breadth. It's been you know, it's been all those top seven names. You texted me an FT story, which was titled Sell NVIDIA. 
Yeah. So I sort of know where you stand here. Well, no, it was a pretty fascinating note. And so there was a, a fixed income analyst over um, at Barclays uh, and uh, a guy named Sandy uh, Gupta. And he's obviously um, relatively constructive on the story and, and the secular move and, and all the things that are going on in and around that under underweights the stock, though. Again, it's not the equity analyst over there, but really laid out the potential for all these things that Guy just mentioned, whether it be competition, whether it be margin compression, whether it mean this this movement from the training you know level of a lot of the companies that are buying these GPUs to the inference level, which will be less you know data dependent or, or, or intensive and the like. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. The competition and this and that, whatever. Here's the deal: coming into this year, okay, the stock looked cheap, right? It had grown into those kind of numbers that had been ratcheted up quarter over quarter all of 2023. After a 45% gain just in the last month, it's no longer cheap. So when they report on February 21st, if they do report a deceleration, right, at, by any means, this stock's going down. So when you talk about what's unnatural about this, I mean, to me, when you go up literally three quarters of a trillion dollars in a straight line without any news. Now, there's a massive customer concentration. Meta and Microsoft that reported last without week. Without any news? Hold on. I, I need to stop you a little bit. Without any news? I mean, again, a company whose business doubled and is projected to, to, to possibly well, that was triple. last year's news. So, so, so basically, okay, so but that, two, that has two a customers, lot to do with two the customers, move. Meta and Microsoft, are 30% of their revenue, and they just had really great quarters. Microsoft didn't react well to its own quarter, right? So you could say that, like, for instance, that's in the stock, that's in NVIDIA stock. Meta had that 20% gap or so. And so I just think when you have that sort of customer concentration, you have to go back 20-some years to the Internet, you know, sort of thing. There was another thing that my good friend Jim Chanos who we spoke to last week down at the conference, um, he mentioned that, you know, the, the company... NVIDIA, and it's it's detailed in this article also and in this Barclays note, that they've made like two dozen VC investments in the NVIDIA space where those companies, they take the capital in and then AI. they're using, they're yeah. buying the GPUs and the GPUs are serving as collateral for the capital. And we saw that at the turn of the century, right? So th this is not going to end particularly well. You can't go up three quarters of a trillion dollars in a straight line on not much news, Tim, not much company-specific news and not think that it has the potential to go the other way just as violently. How do you read all these data points out there? I think we have to bring it all back to earnings. And we've seen this in the breakdown of the Magnificent Seven as well, where you're, you basically have these stories where they are priced for perfection. So any type of news that would be negative going into earnings, if they don't deliver, you could expect some downside exposure. And I think as long as some of these companies continue to deliver what is spectacular earnings growth, there's going to be continued funds that come into it. And you're going to see investors almost hide out in some of those, those stocks. The same thing that we saw last year. But hiding out in a stock like an, hmm. it's almost paradoxical, counterintuitive, <laughs> counterintuitive ironic to say you're going to hide out in a stock like Nvidia. You're going to hide out in a stock like well, maybe Meta well, is not. You, quite you're going to save your job by owning Nvidia. I mean, that's right, something that a lot of a lot of fund managers yeah. are going to make sure that they you know that they have this on their balance sheet at quarter end because they're again I say this all the time, but you don't get fired on the way down typically. You get fired for missing the move on the way up, and and that the the, the move in tech has been so violent, especially in terms of semis and 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 like I I, I don't think that the price action has been sane. But I, I do think there's a lot of things going on, including um, you know, a new paradigm, a new spend, a new addressable market, $8 trillion of cash. Uh, a lot of people that thought the market was going not going higher. A lot of people that didn't expect that payroll number. In the environment we have, even if you have slower growth, where else do you pile in? You pile into mega cap tech. It's been defensive forever. 
that's what we got. Yeah, and that's your point too. All the money parked in money market funds. It's exactly. Come in at some it point. has to come in. But I also think the interesting thing about mega cap tech is it's decoupled from what you would normally think about from a rates perspective. So when we saw rates come down, you actually saw a broadening out of the market. That was the story in November, December. Now that we've seen volatility in rates again, money went back into these mm-hmm. companies and they caught even a higher bid. So what was the news story? Rates continues to drive a lot of this. Yeah, we'll talk about rates, I'm sure, but up 13 basis points today in the 10 year, up to 416. And in terms of, again, history, I guess it doesn't matter. But right now, giving but NVIDIA. It but it rhymes. But it rhymes. But what that means. Give NVIDIA $100 billion in revenues next year, and I'm rounding up. It's trading 17, 17 times revenue, which is historically a pretty premium multiple, probably twice what the industry typically trades at. So I guess the question is, does it matter at this point, or will it grow into it? And those are the questions that need to be answered. Yeah, and all that talk about the market broadening out and how you know, great that was for this you know, bull market that we're five in. Five minutes. A, it didn't last long. <laughs> Look at how poorly the, the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000 is smaller in its totality than Apple or Microsoft individually. Look at on a day like today, stocks like Air Products got absolutely destroyed. This is a chemical company. Do you see Alcoa down nearly 9%? So there's lots of sectors in the market that just act really poorly. I don't know if you you saw the auto stocks. I mean, like I could go on and on. There's plenty of groups that you might think about dollar cost averaging or thinking about getting on the other side of this hiking cycle and what it might look like, right, when we kind of normalize rates and, you know, we get the economy in the spot where the Fed wanted to get it to and inflation is manageable and all that sort of stuff. The geopolitical stuff is less of a concern, that sort of thing. But you don't have a choice right now because the point that you guys are making, hiding out in those names, those are the names that are going to crash the market. If there's a reason to sell the stocks, like we saw, you know, remember Google a week ago after its earnings was trading down 7% until the rest of the things got back on their horse? We lost Tesla, okay? Like, so if you start losing these things fundamentally one by one, don't think for a second, February 22nd, the day after NVIDIA reports, that stock could not be down 15% or something oh, like that. I know that you guys think oh, that sounds crazy. No, 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 no. But do the math. moving NVIDIA that. to the downside doesn't sound crazy. Um, it... it I think there's plenty of arguments that are going to be able to support at least the short term on the valuation, even at the next couple of years. Competition. Look, I, I, you know, I'm not smart enough to know what's going on uh, with everybody else in terms of just what I've heard from AMD and Intel right now. Six to twelve month lead on Nvidia, but I agree with you. And again, I look at at the RSP or the equal. That's the ETF that tracks the equal weighted S and P. We made two year relative lows today. So for everyone that's looking for, I mean, this market, the broader market, the industrialized market that's supposed to benefit so much from AI, uh, actually has been selling off precipitously for the last year. And, and it had a little breath of fresh air in November on a weaker CPI and a PPI, actually, that November 13th. That was kind of a trigger. It got small caps going. Uh, and I don't think you have to own small caps. So I have a question, and I'll pose it to Chris. You know, when you take a look at the disparate performance in terms of the, you know, outperformance of mega caps versus, you know, the other sectors doing terribly, are we not pricing in soft landing? You see a soft landing. Are we pricing that? Because if we are pricing that in, we should have the participation of, of the other groups in anticipation of that soft landing or or the soft landing that we are currently experiencing. Yeah. So I think over the past week, basically, this goes back to Chair Powell and all of his signaling to the market. The market got ahead of itself in terms of pricing in a cut in, in March. Our base case was always that the first cut was going to be in May or June, just because the growth, the data that we have and the just the sheer facts around growth is strong, the employment um, backdrop is strong. So March was always going to be a little early for the Fed to be in a position to cut. So that pricing out of May and June, if we believe that Fed funds is at a peak, 
if we believe that the trajectory is lower in rates, if we believe that inflation is going down that trajectory to about two and a half percent by year end, then that's good for the broadening out story. When and where it happens, we're going to need more visibility into the Fed's trajectory, though. Timing is everything, though. What's, what's, what's interesting to <laughs> That's the tricky part. The, the yields, uh, the move in the bond market guy rightly talks about volatility. And, and you've had essentially a V-shape in the long end yields over the last week. Um, what was it? It was crazy that on the day Powell spoke and effectively was more hawkish than the market had expected and the things that Chris is talking about in terms of pushing back rate cuts. But it's as if the market believed the Fed was going to push the market, was going to essentially keep their foot on the neck of the market that much longer and push us into recession. It was a move in the long end that actually didn't make sense. And that's the recovery we've seen. Uh, See, it's interesting. I mean, the bond market is clearly confused because when you go from 382 a week and a half ago to 416 today, and essentially just a lot of rhetoric. I mean, the bond market's struggling to figure it out as well. I'm, I think, one of the few people that think rates can continue to go higher because I do think the inflationary pressures are going to start to reaccelerate. Now, I don't think that's particularly bullish for stocks, but quite frankly, nothing's been bearish for stocks now for quite some time. Um, let's turn now to an earnings alert on NXP Semi. Shares are higher after posting an earnings and revenue beat guidance, though, was mixed. CBC's Steve Kovacs got the details. Steve. Hey there, Mel. Yeah, the beat on the top and bottom line, setting shares up about 2.5% or a little bit better than that. It was up as much as 4% earlier. But guidance, a little bit mixed here. Midpoint of the EPS range, slightly higher than estimates of $3.15 a share. But revenue slight for uh, estimates of slightly below, sorry, of estimates of $3.2 billion. And some optimism here from CEO Kurt Seavers in the earnings release saying, quote, we are navigating a soft landing by managing what is in our control, especially limiting overshipment of products to customers. Supply was a big problem for many chip companies the last year or so. And look, take a look at some of the segments here, mostly beating expectations. Automotive revenue came in at $1.9 billion. That was a beat. Industrial and Internet of Things, $662 million, another beat. Mobile, $406 million, a really hefty beat there. And communication infrastructure, that was the only miss there at $455 million in sales. Uh, look, earnings call is going to be tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern, so expect some more color there. But for now, let's see shares up 2.7% there, Mel. Steve, thanks. thanks. Steve Kovac. And we've heard a drumbeat of companies supplying to the same end markets. Uh, worries about the inventory, to over, you know, overbuilding in terms of the inventory. And here we are. And XP seems to have navigated this. Agreed. Thing. But this is one at least you can get your arms around in yeah. terms of valuation. Probably trades, I don't know, 16 times next year's numbers-ish. You got decent earnings growth. Not ridiculous. And in terms of price to revenue, we just talked about NVIDIA at 17 times. This is probably closer to five, which, again, I'm not, look, I'm not saying NVIDIA should trade five, but 17 is a little stretched. Apples and oranges. Yeah. I mean, the stock oranges, has not been yes. NVIDIA. I mean, the stock's done nothing for two years at a time when semis have gone through the roof. So uh, it was down year to date. Uh, you know, the, the, the argument is this is like one of these, um, you know, overly commoditized chip names that I think people, you know, see as cyclical, frankly, um, whereas the other ones are no longer cyclical. They're growth. But do you want an apple or do you want an orange? I mean, in this environment, if you wow. think it's awful. I mean, but all, no, no, all, no, no, all no, the, the list that Chris had ticked off in terms of rates going down, inflation range, well, check, check, check. If you believe those things, do you want to be in a company that's more cyclical? I don't. So, again, if, if my apple is, um, call it my NVIDIA, my orange sure. is my NXPI. Either way. Um, I, I'd, I'd be taking a bite out of the apple. Only right. because, uh, again, I think, one, I think right now the cycle we're in for that business, the addressable market, is that we continue to go higher. I, I hate it, but NXPI, it, it, I'd be taking NXPI if I thought my orange 
No, my apple was 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 rotten. It was like a Granny or like a Granny Smith because guy oh, guy hates yeah. Granny Smith. No, no, no. Delicious. No, they, they're uh, no, they're not. They're tart. They're those are the green ones. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This was a fast money first, by the way. This is well, would you rather the fruit edition. Well, <laughs> no, that's what it is. It's not successful. I don't think this is. A game it's not going well. We've done, we've done. We've had better metaphors than those, um, but. Anyway. But I think we could bring something else into the mix. Thank Instead you, Chris, of just picking apples and oranges, and I won't continue the fruit <laughs> metaphor here, but I think this is where, like, the equipment makers are actually an area that you could expand into. So if you think of, like, the inventory overhang, some of the concerns, and then not having to choose between where there's clear total addressable market growth and then something that's maybe a little out of fashion, we know that that is a necessity in terms of this growth, and they've been a little underloved on a relative basis. All right, so she picks a, a kind of orange, maybe a tangerine. A banana. Or t- like a tangelo. Oh. Remember tangelos? Of course I remember about clementines? That, the, you the never get a bad clementine, ever. Delicious. The, the kumquat? Excuse me? Bitter. Well, it's a tiny, wow. tiny. <laughs> more bruises for Boeing. Shares getting hit again today as more issues with the 737 MAX come to light. Details on the latest findings and what the FAA can do about it at this point. Plus, no concealing the gains in Estee Lauder. Shares surging on the back of this morning's earnings report. The changes they're making that have investors jumping in. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee. Right here on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing finishing down more than a percent after saying improperly drilled holes in some of its 737 MAX fuselages could delay the delivery of 50 aircraft. The faulty holes initially discovered by supplier Spirit Aerosystems, whose stock fell almost 5 percent. Phil LeBeau joins us now with the very latest. Phil. And Melissa, we'll find out just the extent of this latest issue over the next couple of days because they're going to do inspections of these 50 aircraft, determine whether or not rework has to be done. And if there is rework where the holes were misdrilled, well, then they'll bring them into conformance and that may delay some delivery. So just again, to recap what's happened over the weekend, a worker at Spirit Aerosystems in Wichita, Kansas, said, look, I think a couple of these holes uh, on these fuselages may have been drilled incorrectly, so they're going to check them. Again, about 50 undelivered aircraft are impacted here. There's another 40 that are in service. It's not a flight safety issue, so they'll continue in service and do inspections and check them at some point. Near-term deliveries could be impacted. Remember, Boeing delivered 387 737 MAXs last year, and their production is capped right now. The question becomes, 
When will they be able to move it up from 38 per month? Remember, the FAA has said you can't go any higher until we're comfortable that you have your house in order. And they, who knows when that may be? A couple of months, a couple of quarters remains to be seen. The target of 50 per month in 25 and 26, that is Boeing's own guidance. They did not pull that guidance when they reported their Q4 results last week. So that's a target that is out there, though Boeing is saying, look, we're not officially endorsing that as where we expect to be in 25-26, but it certainly is out there. As you take a look at shares of Spirit Aerosystems, remember, Q4 results will come tomorrow. The conference call is what people want to focus on because that's when new CEO Pat Shanahan, and yes, he came in at the start of the fourth quarter, but this is really the first quarter where they'll have a chance, analysts will have a chance to ask him about where Spirit is at, and more importantly, the changes that he's putting in place in order to bring them up to the level of performance where they need to be. Because we've seen a number of these issues time and again with Spirit that has ultimately resulted in Boeing having, having to do rework or inspections uh, and slowing down deliveries. Melissa, don't forget, tomorrow morning on Squawk Box, you don't want to miss our exclusive interview with Michael Whitaker, FAA Administrator. Remember, they're doing an investigation of Boeing right now, and they are also adding inspectors at Spirit Aerosystems. So lots to discuss with Mr. Whitaker. That's a Squawk Box exclusive, 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Melissa? Won't miss it. Won't miss it. Phil, thank you. You bet. Phil LeBeau. Um, I think the question here really is, when will defects be the anomaly, sort of the you know aberration as opposed to the norm? Because even if it's not a matter of flight safety at this point, it's it's further damage to the reputation. It's the further drumbeat of of bad news surrounding their their execution capabilities. Look, no question, it's not quality control. It's quality out of control. Yeah. I think that was one of the notes I read this morning from Wolf. And and uh, you get to a place where you can you can do the math in terms of what this means. February deliveries look like they're going to be a lot like January's. Um, I'm still of the view that this is a company that's going to do $8 billion in free cash flow, and you put a 10 times multiple on that part of their business, and uh, you know you have an 18, excuse me, an 18 times multiple on that free cash flow, that I actually think Boeing's starting to get really attractive. I think it's in the price. Um, I, I realize that doesn't assess the ability of major buyers uh, and an order book to be changed, but um, I'm not so sure how it can be. So it's, it's horrifying what's going on. Um, but right now, the numbers to me tell you that a lot of this is in the price. Yeah, it's you know, 200 filled a gap to the downside. I mean, now the news seeming, I don't want to say it's the same news, but it's seemingly a this reiteration. This more minor than the last yeah. Totally. I mean, this is a whistleblower. Now you're going to get, you know, an ashtray was in the wrong spot, <clears throat> right. to your point. But it's all fair. I mean, they should actually point these things out. With that said, I mean, it's only going to, their defense portion of their business is viewed as almost a nondescript asset right now in terms of what they're doing to the stock. So if you can tolerate some more of these headlines, I think Boeing's okay here. All right. Uh, there's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Making up ground. Shares of Estee Lauder eyeing their best day in nearly four years. The details out of the bronzer bump next. Plus, we've got a lily look ahead coming your way. What to expect when the pharma giant delivers results tomorrow? And if the weight loss drug craze can keep fueling the gains? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. 
This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Estee Lauder topping the tape after reporting its latest round of results this morning. That stock up 12% for its best day in more than four years. While both sales and profit declined in the latest quarter, the company announced plans to cut up to 5% of its workforce. And, of course, everybody will know that Estee Lauder is the E in Tim Seymour's acronym for 2024, which is BICEP. Thank you. Well, I mean, I don't know if everybody, but certainly most people know this. Um, and part of this was a story that when when you are involved in the acronym game on Fast Money, I think is your, your goal is to win and play by the rules, which not everybody did, but also to find, to me, things that are bombed out. Uh, and this was a bombed out name. And as I mentioned on Thursday or Friday, it's not the quality of Karen Zolta. In fact, it's 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 a significantly different story. It's a story where the cost savings and the dynamics are are part of the story. It's an inventory clear out that we probably don't get till the second half of the year. But frankly, we saw some turn in China and this was the first time in four quarters they didn't guide down. Um, So, you know, less bad means good in this case. And the move is extraordinary. And I think you can ride this one higher. It doesn't get it doesn't get terribly exciting. But the second half is where they've guided that it gets better. And I think China's getting better. Is this a Estee Lauder specific story? Do you think this is a story of the consumer? Do you see this and say, you know, this is the state of the consumer right now? I think what it tells us about the consumer is when you look at lower, middle, high income consumers, there's clearly a differentiation. And so Estee Lauder is a company that's obviously targeting more the middle to high income consumer. I think there is a question, though, about Asia still in terms of we look at the local markets. I think given the percentage of their revenues that come from Asia, from travel, we have to be a little cautious there. But I think what the market like the most was what it likes the most with a lot of companies is the job cuts and really kind of that expense discipline and executing on that. Yeah, Tim, mind the gap, though, man. This thing opened near 160, closed at 150, so it opened on the dead high, closed on the dead low. Big gap there down to that 135 level. And again, to your point about job cuts, what if they become less exciting because they become more common as we're starting to see it as we get in here? So, again, you know, you might have thought without the job cuts, that news would have been something to send the stock lower. But let's see if we can hold these gains. What? It was a little cold water on the bicep there. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know. You know. The mind, the gap was kind of snarky. Yeah, snarky. Well, a little bit. <laughs> Big valuation, but people here restructuring. Remember, this stock went from 360 to 102. I mean, there's some bounce. There could be some bounce left in this thing. And Tim did play the game the correct way, by the way. He did. As dollars. did I. I yes. look particularly um, gruntled on the picture of me in the. Uh, Very okay. gruntled. You know what? We're going nah, to touch uh, guys clam today. <laughs> is that going to be? Whoa! Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Your acronym. I don't know that's if we want to do that. That's a that's an entirely different yeah, yeah, show. A different show. That's like late night. Touches clam. What? I didn't say. Listen, you get mad at me. I'm sitting here. I'm talking to Nancy. I'm minding my own business. He says that, and you look at me like I'm nuts. That's his acronym, by the way. That's okay. what we're giggling. Coming up, Eli, Eli Lilly earnings on deck and after a huge run over the past year. Can the pharma stock keep up the ferocity? We'll dig into the trade and how the weight loss drug battle is shaping that industry next. And the Elon influence, how drug peer pressure is making its way into the Tesla culture and the impact it could have on the company. We got the details when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks down to kick, uh, kick off the week, though off their uh, best 
excuse me, off the lows of the session. The Dow dropping more than 250 points, the S&P down three-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq also falling nearly a quarter of a percent. Bond yields rose, though, the 10-year closing back in on 4.2 percent earlier in the day. A couple of stocks on the move after our shares of Vertex Pharma higher after the company reported a beat on the top and the bottom line. Palantir also delivering results, shares jumping nearly 17 percent after the company posted earnings in line with estimates but beat revenues. And shares of Tesla dropped 4 percent today. Reports over the weekend saying CEO Elon Musk pressured Tesla board members to do drugs with him. Mm. Reports saying some directors felt there was an expectation to use the drugs to avoid upsetting Musk. Software company SAP also removing Tesla from its list of company car suppliers, reportedly due to late deliveries and price fluctuations, which makes it difficult to plan budgets. Um, you say this is a sort of the reckoning for Musk at this point. Well, I mean, listen, on a day like today, I, mean, I looked up at one point, the stock was down nearly 7%. And, you know, you say to yourself, okay, is he selling stock again? You know, there's been odd pressure. You know, he couldn't sell stock, obviously, in the lead up to their quarter. Um, you know, did he have margin calls? We know he's pledged most of his shares for the Twitter acquisition and the like here. And the other thing is, is maybe investors are starting to price what Tesla after Musk really looks like, what the, the premium that's built in there for him. So, I mean, the stock, you know, is trading above 250 about a month ago. We just talked about a stock that has gained 40% in a straight line, which is NVIDIA in the last month. This stock, it, it really does act like it's coming apart, and especially relative to the S&P and the NASDAQ. And, uh, you know, it just feels like it's a bit of a disaster. All right, let's get to Eli Lilly here. Trading at all-time highs as a drug maker set to report earnings tomorrow morning. The stock is up nearly 6%, bringing its gains for the year to more than 20%. Will earnings boost its run or put a damper on the rally? For more, let's bring in Cantor Fitzgerald analyst Louise Chen. Louise, great to have you with with us. Hi. Hi. It's interesting, you know, to see this run even after Novo posted its results, but the ZepBound prescription numbers were just staggering, at least for the month of December. What what are you looking specifically for? Yeah, I think for tomorrow, what we'd like to see is what the ZepBound numbers look like. Another important product, obviously, Mujaro. They have potential launches of two products this year, Zenenimab and Leverkizumab, so kind of see what they put in the guidance for that. And then also pipeline advancements and M&A, what they're thinking on that front. Yeah. Um, in terms of pipeline, you know, there's so much sort of anticipation around Synergy Nash uh, trial. And I'm wondering, do you think we'll get any sort of color on that? I'm not sure. We've asked Lily about that. They said they have not disclosed the timing, but the estimated primary completion date has passed on that. So hopefully we'll get some sort of color. As a big cap pharma analyst, I mean, historically, you've been able to sort of you can, you can measure these things, right? You can game it out a little bit. But with Eli Lilly and Novo, I mean, the whole world's changed. So how should we look at this on terms of valuation? Because historical valuations don't seem to matter right now. Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I hear what you're saying there. So I think one of the things that you have to think about for whether or not there's another leg up for, to move for this stock is really the downstream indications for terzepatide. They have fatty liver disease data coming, as you mentioned, they also have obstructive sleep apnea, and they also have heart failure data coming this year. So it'll be interesting to see how those do and how those could add on to the additional patients that could use the drug. And reimbursement could be better for those indications than what you see for obesity, which a lot of times is not covered. And the other thing that I would look at is some of their pipeline products. They have orthoglipron, which is an oral GLP-1. Orals are, are big and important in the market. No one's really been successful on that front yet. And they also have a triple G product tide and it could show in excess of 25% weight loss, which is better than we've seen with any of the other weight loss products thus far. When do you think there, or, or when or if, you'll see any sort of differentiation in terms of Novo versus Lilly and the efficacy of the weight loss drug, specifically 
um, ZepBound versus Novo's products? Yes, we're already at that inflection point, and it's quite interesting because Lilly has higher weight loss, but Novo has the select data. They got that earlier than Lilly, and theirs might still be a few years away. Let's see if they do an interim look on that. So it'll be very interesting to see how that market plays out this year with one company that has outcomes data like Novo and another company that has shown higher weight loss in their trials. Hey, Louise, it's Tim. So extending Melissa's question just into the competitive landscape outside of these two companies, because they're they're treated as if they are so far ahead. And again, it kind of we've said this so many times, it's a bad metaphor at this point, but it does feel like the semiconductor space where you've got one or two companies that are on the leading edge of technology. Yeah. So are you asking me what other companies might show data? Competitive landscape for sure, Louise. Yeah. I mean, who else is, is even close? Yeah, so I would say Amgen has some data that people are very excited to see this year. So that will be coming out. That's a large company. Roche, also through the acquisition of Carmo, is working on some products. And one of them is, you know, forefront, exciting. They've said that this could be one of their best-in-class products. Um, Pfizer is working on an oral product. They did not show success in the first uh, round. It wasn't not success, but it wasn't a great tolerability. So they're coming back this year with more data that they'll show uh, sometime in the first half of this year. Louise, thanks for phoning in. Appreciate it. Louise Chan, who's got a $630 price target on Eli Lilly. What do you think? Well, she's been, I mean, good for her, number one. I mean, this last move happened over the last couple of weeks. Look, what do I think? We've loved Eli Lilly collectively. I think it's $700 now, given the run that it's had in the earnings. You're playing at the deep end of the pool. With that said, I thought the same thing about Facebook last week into their earnings release, and that clearly was wrong as well. Markets right now rewarding excellence and Eli Lilly's in that mode. And quite frankly, they're probably setting up for a stock split. I think the last one was like in 97. And, qu- and maybe entrance to the Dow at some point as well. So a lot of things working for Eli Lilly right now. Yeah, we've said this so many times in terms of the, is the point you made, the AI sort of notion that, yep. that there are a couple of winners in the space. Do you see that as well? Is that a sign of like FOMO or, you know, I think it's one of those things where you tend to overestimate the impact short term, underestimate the impact long term. And with these GLP ones, it's almost kind of extrapolating out that they're going to be the cure for everything. I do think, though, in healthcare and in biotech more broadly, this is where the broadening out of the equity market rally. I think there's a real tangible case because, again, going back peak rates, you can look at some of the equity capital markets activity, some of the M&A activity, these large pharma companies, they need to kind of replenish their pipeline as well. So this is an area where we're very constructive this year. It's fascinating, Chris. But then when I think about a Bristol-Myers or I think about a Pfizer, which I own, you know, the expansion of their pipeline. I mean, Pfizer spent all of their money, their windfall money from COVID on on new drugs and new pipeline and look where it gets them. So um, is is your point that you think broader healthcare is ready to roll here? I would say more on the biotech side. Yeah. So I would actually look at like the acquisition targets and even expanding into areas like med tech, life sciences, looking at healthcare as a sector more broadly. Those are the ones that weren't loved last year. Yeah. And I think there's a really compelling argument that they could catch up. Coming up, media mogul Byron Allen making a move to buy one major studio. The reaction in Paramount stock and whether this is a good bet for the streaming company next. Plus, a fast food flop. McDonald's shares dropping after reporting a revenue miss before the bell. Inside, the disappointing numbers and how the burger giant can bounce back. Back right after this. Black-owned businesses secured a little over $2 billion in venture capital in 2022. That's a lot of money, but it represents less than 1% of the more than $200 billion pool of venture capital. Many agree this means there's more opportunity to invest in founders of color. 
Celebrating Black Heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. Welcome back to Fast Money. Paramount shares dropping nearly 3% today, even after media entrepreneur Byron Allen confirmed he is in talks to acquire the company. Julia Borson joins us now with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, I spoke to Byron Allen, who confirms that he has made an offer per Paramount Global and that they've received it. He also said they're now engaged in conversation. Allen telling me that he ran into Paramount Global CEO Bob Backish at the Gra Grammys last night. He reported to me that Backish said, thank you for the offer. We're happy that you submitted it. No comment on this from Paramount. Allen telling me the advantage of his offer is that he thinks he can get it approved by the FCC. Unlike a private equity, a private equity player, he says he's already approved as a broadcast owner. And as to the question of where the $14 billion of equity for the deal would come from, Allen tells me that he has two strategic partners who would divide the costs and also the assets. One of his partners wants the physical real estate of Paramount's studio lot, and the second wants the Paramount studio to bolster its streaming content. So that means it could either be a digital first or a traditional media player. Now, Allen Media Group is the third partner and would take the linear broadcast and cable networks if this deal were to work out. Now, I'm sure we'll, we will hear a lot more about this as well as the interest from Skydance and its partners before Paramount reports its earnings on February 28th. Melissa? Julia, there seems to be skepticism about the offers that Byron Allen puts forth. Is it skepticism surrounding the financing part of the deal? I mean, what, what is it about his offer, do you think? Well, I think it's skepticism surrounding the financing part because we don't know who these two other partners are. I mean, with Skydance, we know who they're partnered with. We know how that would play out. Skydance is, is going uh, through the route of acquiring or would potentially be going through the route of acquiring national amusements in order to gain ownership of Paramount Global, whereas Byron Allen is interested in going directly for Paramount Global. We don't know who these partners are. Um, I pushed him. I asked him multiple times in multiple ways. Um, but he reassured me that they are there and they would be able to pull it off financially. He just wouldn't share who the names are. All right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Guy, what do you think? Well, there are 80 million. It's, I think the short interest in the stocks, 80 million shares, 14 percent of the float. This news comes out. The stock goes down today. I mean, that to me tells you all you need to know. Stock has bounced since October. It's I don't know. When you get news like this, it should have rallied. It's not. That tells you something, especially with that kind of short interest. Well, remember the fund during uh, you know, COVID or late COVID, whenever this was, when this stock, there was a squeeze going on. And again, it was it was a major, major story. Stock traded above 90. You're back now near those COVID lows. I, I think some of the parts this deal is going to happen somewhere. Um, and I think some of the parts, it actually makes some sense. And, and I think you've gotten to a place where uh, we all know linear TV is dead, uh, but we also know that there is a value to some of these assets. So um, I think there's room to the upside. All right. Coming up more after hours action this time in shares of Simon Property. That stock is on the move after reporting results. The numbers out of that quarter next. And investors not loving McDonald's results. Shares of the Golden Arches dropping to two-month lows. The international issues facing the restaurant chain. That's next. That's when he's back in two. Don't film <laughs> I hope that I really hope that made air. I so hope that made air. It did. It did. It, we were, um, <laughs> I mean, where's the warning around here? Yeah, we we're play the pet in the street you grew up on kind of thing. It's a great okay. game to play. Well, and let's at least explain money. that. We've got another earnings alert. <laughs> 
Simon Property Group volatile after results. The company saying occupancy rose in the latest quarter and gave strong guidance for the fiscal year. Let's bring in CBC's Courtney Reagan to break down the details. Courtney, take it away. She's I'm, obviously played. I, I know. I was trying to think about one minus Scuttle Fairmont, I think. Anyway. That's very good. Okay. Very the, good the shopping center operator, Simon Property Group, reporting earnings of 229 with 39 cent gain from a partial sale. Revenue in line at $1.36 billion. Now, net income guidance higher than the street at a range of 645 to 670 that compares to 631 estimates. Simon Property Group occupancy did come in at 95.8%. That's up 90 basis points from last year. Base minimum rent increased 3.1%. The retailer's sales per square foot as reported fell 1.3%. Now the REIT also upping its dividend to $1.95 from $1.90. And on the call, which is still ongoing, CEO David Simon said, quote, demand remains very strong for leases from retailers of all kinds. Simon noted supply and demand is in its favor, noting, quote, historically low supply in big properties across the country. And Simon went on to say the importance of bricks and mortar has never been stronger. He noted e-commerce retailers need to be connected to a brick and mortar store for what he called, quote, survival. Back over to you, Melissa. All right, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. And obviously in this sector, we've also seen sort of the bifurcation, the high-end versus the low-end sorts of property, Simon being in the high-end category. Yeah, it's rallied 45%-ish since October. We should have Jonathan Litt back to talk about it. But valuation, listen, the guidance they gave for full year wasn't a disaster. They tweaked it a little bit lower, but you can still make a case on valuation despite the run. So in absence of any bad news, which there has been none, this stock can continue to levitate, I think. Are there concerns about commercial property, commercial real estate in your view? I think there's absolutely concerns about commercial real estate. I think the the question here, though, is when you look at the diversification, what we mean by retailers, there's obviously more of like an experience and it's targeted towards that middle and upper end of the consumer spectrum. So if you have the diversification and people are going there for an actual experience as opposed to where you shop, I think that makes a difference. I think we have to we have to think about REITs of all kinds, whether you know whether they are in high end or not, at, at, in a different way than we did five years ago when rates were zero. Um, I just think the multiple relative to itself is something that you have to think about. I think this is a name we know it's the highest quality or one of the highest quality names in the space. Rallied 50 percent the minute yields started coming back down. I think this thing can go lower. All right, um, let's get to McDonald's. You're dropping nearly 4% today after reporting a revenue miss for the bell. The fast food giant beating EPS estimates of blaming the current conflict in the Middle East for lower than expected sales. It's the second major company after Starbucks last week to cite the impact of the war. It also mentioned lower-end consumers not spending as much because it's more affordable to eat at home nowadays, and that really seems to be the tale of the low-end consumer, Dan. Yeah, no, it's interesting that, you know, this headline comes the weekend after we just launched further-scale attacks that, you know, like, you know, uh, listen, this thing has the potential to get bigger. And we've heard this from a bunch of consumer-oriented companies, some uh, digital ad companies and the like here. So I suspect this is something we're going to hear a bit more. If you think it's just like a mulligan right now, we'll see because it doesn't think like it doesn't seem like things are going to tamp down anytime soon. You, you still yeah, own it. I don't own it. Oh, you don't own it. Um, I'd like to own it lower. I think I'm going to get it lower. Um, I think the comps are really tough coming out of COVID, and I think some of the ability to pass on some of the costs, even if you're McDonald's, is is under some pressure. So um, I think the multiple right now is not something you're that excited by, and you don't need to own it today. You have to be concerned when they say they're pricing out a certain category. I mean, and that's been their, that's been the reason you go to McDonald's for all these years. And they're starting <clears> to talk <throat> about that. You have to be concerned. So maybe that valuation, which seemed reasonable, is not as reasonable right now. 
I think it's interesting that we're bringing in geopolitical tensions into earnings. We've seen that a number of times. And I have to bring it back to the consumer and that delineation between the lower income and other consumers. If you're not a homeowner in the U.S. and you're not an investor in the market, it's a markedly different reality in how you're spending your money and where you're spending your money. Up next, Final Trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim? We talked about Tesla. Well, Toyota Motors is very well positioned in hybrids. They are very well positioned globally, like Japanese equities. TM. Kristen Bitterly, thank you for being here. Yes. All right. I'm going to lean into the broadening out. Um, S&P 400, S&P 600. I think the valuation disconnect is just too much. It's basically what we saw in the depths of COVID. Yeah, Nathan. Yeah, Pfizer's back to where it was in the depths of COVID. I think the valuation disconnect there with some of the other names we're talking about. So Tim's Pfizer. Mikey likes it. Guy Dami. Hillcrest Brothers, our fans of the show. <laughs> uh, the B in bicep, Tim played the game correctly, is Alibaba. I think Baba continues to go higher from Which here. Which game was that? I'm not sure. The one we play coming here. Well, that's <laughs> right. a, yeah, well. B's also in Zebra. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Okay, Rocky. <laughs> Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.